Welcome to Sunny Bitcoin. In this episode, I had a great discussion with Rishi who is building BlockFi's business in Asia. We discussed why the interest rates on crypto deposits on BlockFi has dropped so low, how earning interest on stable coins is still a good opportunity, the countries which BlockFi accepts customers from. We also discussed BlockFi's risk management practices, its massive funding recently, their plans for Asian countries and their soon-to-be-launched crypto reward credit card. It was a great conversation which I really enjoyed and I hope you do too. Hi Rishi, uh, welcome to Sunny Bitcoin. Thanks for having me. So uh, Rishi, I'm a big user of uh, BlockFi and actually it's one of the uh, one of my most used crypto companies and I'm not being paid to say this. Though you guys should pay me something for sending so many users to you. <laughs> I, I don't want US dollars. Just send me some Bitcoin merch or something. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your background. What got you involved in crypto and BlockFi? Okay, yeah, cool. So um, so my background, I, I started my career at Merrill Lynch. Uh, so always in the equities background. Um, started out in tech, did a couple of years there, then a couple of years in trading, and then eventually sales. So I spent over, over a decade at Merrill Lynch between Hong Kong, where I'm originally from, and New York. And it's actually when I moved to New York where I got exposed to, I would say, crypto as well as just general fintech. So that was about 2015 when I got exposed to the space. I was pretty much by day working at Merrill Lynch, but on the side, advising startups, doing my own PA and got heavily went down the rabbit hole, as a lot of us do, into the crypto space. Uh, 2018, I took the plunge, uh, left, left the traditional finance space, moved over here to Singapore and started my own company over here. Um, we were in the crypto space, but it was 2018, so it was bear market. It was tough. Uh, raised some money, moved, pivoted to equities, which was which was uh, I did not enjoy. Uh, left that and then started doing stuff in the financial literacy space, so more financial coaching, where I was educating a lot of people. This is an equities, crypto across the whole entire uh, the the scope of, of finances and personal finances. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, that was my second venture in the entrepreneur space and then joined BlockFi about a year ago um, to be the first employee over here in Asia to build out the Asia office. And so what do you do in uh, BlockFi? So uh, BlockFi as a whole, so so I'm building out the Asia office and and look, we're a global company and I would say BlockFi, you know, when you, when you kind of break it down, BlockFi builds financial service products for crypto investors. So to kind of break down the products that we have, we have three live products right now. So there's BlockFi interest accounts, which is probably what we're most famous for. So people can leave Stablecoin or Bitcoin with us. And we also support Ether, Litecoin, Link, and, and a couple of others. And people can leave that with us and earn an interest. Uh, far higher interest than you would ever get in traditional finance space. And we can get into that later. And then we also, uh, we were the first company to offer out loans to individuals that own crypto. So similar to what you're able to do when you borrow against a portfolio of stocks, except with Bitcoin and Ether, um, and other crypto assets as collateral. Uh, and then the last product is we also have the ability for people to go on the platform, buy and sell crypto for no fees whatsoever, moving closer to the traditional markets in the US, especially where you can buy and sell equities for close to no fees. Yeah, I want to go get into all of these products uh, in detail later for sure. What's a target user? I use Is BlockFi specifically targeting retail users? Is it HNI's family offices, institutions or a bit of everybody? Yeah, so there's really two sides of the business when you think about it. And, and what, I'd, what I maybe I can do over here is explain the business model. Because I think when people understand the business model, they, they really understand and, and feel comfortable with BlockFi. So you have the one side of the platform where people are leaving money with us. So you have retail and institutions. And over there, 
we're targeting anyone who wants to kind of explore the space in the crypto, crypto side and wants to earn a higher yield than they will ever in the traditional finance space. So these are all open term. People just leave money with us. So on that side, it's more retail, high net worth individuals. Um, we have family offices. We even have what we've seen now is, is a great amount of corporates come in. So, you know, you, in the news, you see the micro strategies of the world. But what you don't see are the private companies. The, and we're seeing dentists, we're seeing churches, we're seeing everyone come on board and either leave stablecoin with us or get comfortable with Bitcoin and leave Bitcoin with us and fuck that. So that's one side of the business where people are leaving money with us. And the real big question is then how are we able to generate? So, for example, on USD, we pay 8.6%. How are we able to generate that 8.6%? And that's where we deal with the, the larger institutions. So these are, again, the family offices do fall into here. Uh, where we're offering structured products, where they're actually trading on the market and, and doing arbitrage things and, and so forth. And we're dealing with family offices, we're dealing with global macro funds, we're dealing with um, alternative asset managers and so forth. Now, I'd say the biggest change that we've seen on that, so on the retail side, we, you know, 2018, 2017, 2018, when we started this, it was a lot of individuals. And now we're starting to see, like I said, a lot more corporates where people are just wanting to put a little bit, take a page out of the MicroStrategy uh, playbook and put a little bit of their money in the ba- uh, on the balance sheet into Bitcoin. And then on the other side of the institutional, I would break it down as, you know, 2018, we were seeing a lot of crypto natives. So, um, you know, the people who got in early on a startup, a prop desk and so forth, I'd say then, then it moved on to more of the HFTs, the Chicago HFT type firms who were getting into the space because they saw the arbitrage opportunity, the market making opportunity. But last year is where we saw the real big push of the bigger dollar amounts coming in, i.e., you know, we, we saw it in Paul Tudor Jones note, but it's the following from there, the global macro funds, these alternative asset managers who really start to come in with bigger sizes and really take the market to another level, I would say. And uh, so that's the trend that we've been seeing. So from uh, dentists to churches, quite a spectrum. Did you say churches? I did say churches. <laughs> we've we've just seen a good amount come in, and again, it's it's you know I think um, uh, you're you're in this you've been in the space a lot longer. For people who have in it on a PA level, when you start seeing other bigger Teslas of the world come in on a private level, then you think, well, I'm the CFO of my church. Uh, you know, CFO might be the, not, not the right word, but you know, you manage the finances of your church of your dentistry. Why not take a little bit of that and put it in? And risk manage that, right? Yeah, so I've been um, mentioning on sunnybitcoin.com that uh, this uh, price cycle is absolutely different from the previous ones. And this is because of institutional uh, interest in Bitcoin for the first time. And I think you can vouch for that, right? 100%. Yeah, 100% we're seeing that. And from which countries do you accept uh, users, uh, institutions, and from which uh, you don't? Yeah, so so we're, we're, we're look, we're, the way the route that we took is went full regulation. So in the US, we're fully regulated. Um, we're working on getting other licenses in, in, in other countries. But right now, we're fully regulated in the US, and we accept anyone outside of the sanction list. So anyone who's coming inbound to us, what we won't do is sit there and promote in um, China and Cuba and so forth. So all the other sanction lists. But outside of that, we're, we're open. Um, people can come in, come on board to us. Uh, we don't sit there and promote in a lot of the countries because of regulation until we get it, but we are regulated in the U.S. Um, we currently have about 60% of our users use uh, in the U.S. and about 40% international, and that's all over the world. That's amazing. And any second, uh, which is the second largest country after the U.S.? I think uh, the second largest com- country is probably the U.K. Um, and then I think we have Australia that's quite high up there also. 
Yeah, it's uh, been interesting. And one of the reasons that I recommend BlockFi, especially to new users and including HNIs and family offices, is that it seems like opening an account in BlockFi has always been easier than opening accounts at other US exchanges. And I'm not, I don't know whether it's a lax KYC, I should say it, or whether you're just more tolerant, but there is definitely something, your limits are much higher Whereas uh, other exchanges like Gemini, they really throttle new users and it almost becomes impossible for an HNI to use such, uh, such exchanges in the beginning where it's never been a problem with BlockFi. How, how is it different for you guys then for some of the other US exchanges? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. So so we went, like, you think about when we, we started the company in Q3 2017, right? And that was during the days of the whole ICO kind of boom where... We, we took the route of not going that route and raising money over there. We raised, you know, the first round of investors were from a lot of crypto native VC firms, i.e. Coinbase, Galaxy, Gemini, and so forth. And then the next following rounds, we raised from more traditional firms like the Fidelities and Susquehanna's. And and recently it was, it was you know, we have, we have a whole list in the recently of DST and Bain Capital and so forth. And I think going that route and going down the regulation route so it was tough in the start to go down the regulation route. But then from there, once we got regulated and everything, then we're going down that full KYC route. So I think we've streamlined the process. We're still fully compliant and everything. But then once you're onboarded, you know, for example, you can trade a large ticket size on our platform of up to $1.2 million every ticket size. So there's no restrictions over there. Um, I think the other thing is that we are, if not the only, if not one of the few, but I believe the only... Uh, big, at least, kind of crypto firm out there where there is a number that you can dial. So whenever people, our customer service is, is, is we're expanding our customer service a lot recently because we've had a, we've doubled the number of users in this year alone. So so you know we've always been at the forefront of that where people can sit there and dial a number and call us and have that real excellent kind of customer service um, arrangement where. I think people are used to from the traditional finance space. And especially, I think we drive a lot of adoption, right, on the retail side. And when people are first-time users and, you know, I tell a lot of people, put USD in, earn your interest in Bitcoin, get yourself familiar. And they want to have that easy-to-use platform and someone to ask questions to. Yeah, no, BlockFi's user experience and onboarding process is, uh, I think, one of the best. Uh, so absolutely, congrats on that. And you're right, BlockFi, uh, just in four years, um, I think uh, in the last uh, funding round, has valued BlockFi more than $3 billion and BlockFi has raised about half a billion dollars so far. And I'm assuming BlockFi, like other exchanges, is is profitable or generates healthy revenues. Why is BlockFi raising so much money? What are you guys doing with uh, it? Is it to subsidize customer acquisition like e-commerce companies do? Is, is some of it pays or the interest? Uh, no, no, definitely, definitely doesn't pay off the interest. Um, I guess the, the raise was really more to enable further innovation in the product suite. Um, accelerate expansion into new markets that we really want to enter and also provide capital for maybe select acquisition opportunities. So I would say that the way the way our business model works is, right, where people lend to us and we, we go out and, and lend to others and most of it is over collateralized, which we can go into so people can understand the risk. But the money we raise is more for expansion. Like I said, one of the biggest things that we're doing right now is hiring a lot of people in the client service space because... We're completely, I mean, we're overwhelmed in a good way because we have the number of users that are coming on board has been unbelievable since I would say kind of Q3, Q4, and then jumping into this year has been kind of like a skyrocket. So that's the reason for the raise. And then um, 
just being able to expand our product suite. I think we, you know, we we only added in trading last year, and and that's already taken off in such an excellent next level. And as you know, um, as you might know, we have the credit card coming out this quarter sometime, which is obviously going to be uh, a huge product for us that everyone's very excited about. So with that, you need the manpower. Yeah, there are a lot of all of these things which I want to get into uh, deeper. And uh, absolutely, I think uh, when these price cycles start, nothing prepares exchanges for the exponential rise. I remember when I was uh, at Zepe, I think we had about 300 people literally within one month. The training was terrible. If you could speak English, you could get on a phone and just handle customer calls. <laughs> so I, I, I can understand your pain right now. Um, why do you think BlockFi has grown so fast? It's not one of the first... Uh, crypto companies are out of the U, uh, US uh, and there were existing large players already. What 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 do you think made it unique compared to some of the uh, existing bigger players? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's a combination of things, right? One is one is kind of first mover advantage into a unique product. So the ability for people to kind of lend, lend to us and earn a yield, we're one of the first ones. And I would say like, when you look at the competitive landscape, right, there is, there is, the people who are just like the the kind of CFI kind of uh, firms that are just like us. And I would say that hopefully by now we've kind of already put ourselves in the top tier. And then the kind of next level to go to is start competing with the more fintech type firms who are entering into the crypto space. So the PayPal's, the, the squares of the world, who where they have such a wide user base that people are just comfortable with them, right? So then it's not about what do they offer in, in particular asset classes. For us, it's driving adoption. Right at the end of the day, it's driving adoption in the, in, the, in that crypto space. So, again, on the one side, you have the retail who you know I always tell people who are first time users who are not comfortable with crypto. I'm like, all right, put some USD in, earn eight point six percent. Right? You cannot you cannot understand the risk model and everything, which we're very transparent about how we manage risk and always talk about it and everything. So once people are comfortable putting USD on, then I say, okay, hit the switch to earn your earn your interest in Bitcoin. So like, that was one of the best trades last year for me personally. <laughs> like hitting that switch was just amazing because you saw the price go up from 10 to 60 um, and, and you're just earning interest in Bitcoin, right? So I think really driving adoption, making that user experience clean and then go back to the same thing of client service. We're best in class over there. And then on the other side, um, the institutional team is heavily made up of people like myself who have worked in the traditional finance space, who understand those types of clients, understand the legal parts of it and everything, who can really talk to those global macro funds and who just love crypto. And so a lot of us in our DNA want, just like you, want crypto to grow. Just like the, the reason we're doing this podcast is because you want people to know about this product and you want to grow this space, right? Grow that pie. So a lot of it is, is driven over there too. No, absolutely. I've never actually had the need to contact your customer support simply because BlockFi <laughs> really <true>. works uh, <laughs> efficiently. And I think your average customer size is also much uh, bigger in terms of volume. You don't really attract the typical retail user, at least uh, like on the other exchanges. So um, so absolutely, BlockFi was built on the premise of uh, you know crypto deposits. Um, however, the interest rates have been steadily falling. In fact, uh, the interest rate on Bitcoin is currently, you know, 2%. I know you give a high percent on a very small quantity. And in fact, on more than 20 Bitcoin, it's only half a percent. And I think it's the same with ETH. As soon as the volume kind of quantity goes up of the deposit, the interest drops to half a percent. Do you think the premise has somewhat failed at such low interest rates? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we don't get me wrong. We've seen some withdrawals. Uh, but that was expected also, right? We, we, we're we market, market dynamic. We try not to move these 
But at the end of the day, if the if the market dynamics change, we will adjust to the market. So prior to this, uh, early last year, we raised the interest rate. And we raised the interest rate to Ether about, I think, six or nine months ago when DeFi was blowing up. And there was a lot of borrow, borrow demand for Ether. So because there was a high borrow demand for Ether, we could charge higher rates. So we gave it back to our customers and said, actually, we're going to increase the rate. Right now, the rates have gone lower. Um, and again, if you notice on the tiering, I know, I know you said small amount, but one Bitcoin is still... $58,000, quite a lot, right, to your average user. So we're still happy to pay, in a way, higher than the market will pay for that one Bitcoin because you want to drive adoption. Um, what we did is adjust the entire, entire platform because the demand is simply not there. But again, we, we've left the 8.6% on USD from day one because there is demand. And there's still, and you know what, that, will that demand stay forever? Probably not. And, and maybe when that demand goes down and the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin demand will go back up. So we'll, we'll, we will dynamically change rates. We try not to so often because we want to keep it somewhat steady. Um, but yeah, that, that adjustment came in, came in uh, very recently. And you think that's a function of Bitcoin, of the bull market in the crypto space right now? So when there's a bull market, the demand for borrowing cryptos goes down. Uh, and that's the reason the interest rates for depositing it go yeah. down and vice versa when if there's a bear market maybe the other thing uh you might see it play out exactly opposite uh, in the future that's the crypto interest rates versus the stable coin interest rates the, uh, do you think that's a fair way to yeah i mean look, there's always um there's always market opportunities so so it's always tough to predict that like the DeFi thing came out of nowhere right i mean don't get me wrong it didn't come out of nowhere but the demand for it just surged unbelievably right so you know we increased rates but when you think about it at a very very high level when Bitcoin is rallying and everyone, it's a bull market and everyone thinks Bitcoin's going to go up. What they're doing is borrowing USD to buy more Bitcoin. So the borrow is on the USD side. No one right now wants to borrow BTC to short Bitcoin. So hence the demand for Bitcoin has gone down. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So at least at these, um, you know, interest rates are 2% or half a percent. Uh, do you think it's worth, uh, do you recommend users to give up custody of an asset because you give up, you give give the ownership of your keys to uh, BlockFi for an asset which is increasing by about, you know, 100 to 200% per year for such low interest rates? Yeah, I mean, look, again, it's onto that personal uh, level where, where you have to decide how much of your total net worth or total crypto net worth even, you could say, or total net worth actually because you have USD in there too. Do you want to leave out of your keys, right? And and simply leaving it on your own on your own flash drive, whatever it may be, is one thing. But I think what has happened over the and you correct me if I'm wrong on what you're seeing in the market. Not a lot of people are leaving it on, say, vaults online like a Coinbase vault and so forth, just because they're not trusting themselves with the USBs, <laughs> um, which is quite common. So then it then it's really just about understanding the risk and maybe maybe we can maybe we can have a quick chat about how we kind of earn that yield and manage the risk because then really people can understand and make the decision off that because let's be clear and we don't want to you know we're not in the game to trick anyone we want everyone to understand exactly how our business works so they can at the end of the day make their own risk assessment right yeah i've heard uh you know zach and uh, the head of your risk uh, team right. explain how you guys manage risk uh, uh you know i think you've really tried to be as transparent as possible in a youtube video or a podcast uh, but go ahead uh, uh you know, uh, how do you guys manage risk? Yeah, at the end of the day, look, it's it's we always keep plenty of reserves 
on the platform so people can withdraw and deposit anytime. And there's no misconception that you can take your money out and put it back in at any time. And we leave a, a large amount over there for that. And then there's really two, two kind of revenue ways. One, and this is the primary one, is lending it back out. So when we lend it back out, we lend it to institutions that we have currently have about 200 institutions onboarded. And what we'll do with them is we'll, we have a whole credit team and a structuring team. And these are, again, our guys are all from traditional finance, so they're quite conservative. And they will sit there and look at the entire company and say, okay, with this company X, we have decided that looking at all their financials and everything, that we'll give them X amount of exposure. And every single client is capped. So we limit ourselves so in case there are any, which currently there, there have never been up to date any losses from this loan side. But, you know, there could be in a, in a bear market or in a, in a big kind of dip like there was last March. But we fortunately were didn't have any losses there. But we lend it out to them. And for the most part, they are over collateralized. And the reason is because we want to take less credit risk at the end of the day. Right. And then for the larger firms that are more, you know, multi multi hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in traditional finance and have a small little crypto arm, those are the ones that we might give credit risk to. And that's where we feel comfortable. And these, even then, we still cap it. So those are really how we're making our money by, by lending it out to these types of firms, so these larger institutions who are willing to borrow from us. Um, and then on the other side, what we do is a little bit of, I would say, kind of treasury management on trades like the market neutral trades, where we're able to sit there and generate income. Like the grayscale trade and stuff and, like and that. And also like the basis trading and so forth. Yeah, I can, uh, you know, for the audience, I can vouch for all of this because I've heard Zach. And again, as I mentioned, that of your risk, explain um, uh, all of this. And although I'm not a certified financial advisor and you should do your own research, uh, I can vouch for all the things that Rishi is saying uh, in terms of uh, the way you take collateral. It's basically all the loans are over collateralized and the kind of institutions you're dealing with. And the fact that um, you're the head of your risk team, as well as people in BlockFi are from traditional finance. Uh, so it's basically just another asset, but the practices are extremely, uh, you know, from traditional finance and the way they are, uh, the, the, you, know, you know, the risk capacity is and the way the regulations work. Uh, and I think uh, I spent a lot of time researching this and I became uh, far more comfortable than I was in the beginning. So I can definitely vouch for this. Um, although still, I do feel that uh, there are a couple of other firms like Unchained Capital, which give uh, uh, you know which give US dollar loans against uh, crypto as collateral, and they charge more because they do not make revenue from the collateral. So they charge I think about two percent more. So on an average, you charge from five to ten percent depending upon the collateral to loan uh, ratio. And unchained uh, charges, for example, because uh, they charge for example twelve percent, but then the crypt the crypto is locked in a multi sig escrow uh, wallet yep. and they do not uh, generate revenue out of it and i would still be more comfortable to pay that or at least have the choice to pay an extra interest and not take any risk on my collateral do you think such a product is in the offering or in yeah, the wait, look I, I would say i would say we have discussed it uh we know that there's demand for it um and i wouldn't put it out the picture but i would say that you know with this new raise now i would say the first thing that we're going to do is the credit card and then after that you, you will definitely see newer products come out later this year. <laughs> right. Okay. And and so going back to the stable coins, absolutely with the stable coins, the interest rates are around 9%, I think 8.6%, as you mentioned. And stable coins are basically for those who, uh, who don't know, they are really just digital versions of the US dollar. They are pegged to the US dollar. Of course, they carry the risk of the issuer and maybe something else, but they are uh, for, for, uh, 
most ways they are just like the US dollar. And if banks are paying only you know, near 0% interest uh, on a US dollar bank deposits, how is BlockFi able to pay such high interest rates uh, on stable coins? Yeah, there's just, there, in that crypto kind of hemisphere, there is large demand for it. So when you look at a crypto fund, a prop desk, or, or even a traditional finance firm that is getting into the crypto area, they can't go and borrow from a traditional bank, right? You can't leave your Bitcoin as collateral and borrow from a traditional bank. So there are market trade opportunities that can earn you up to 20, even 30% annualized on market neutral trades. So if you think about it, then they're happy to borrow at say 12%, at 14%. So we as a, we as a firm are literally just keeping the difference. We're, we're borrowing from an individual like yourself at 86 lending it back out at 12 and keeping that difference over there. And that's the business model, right? So if we're, as long as we're able to lend it back out at, at safe risk parameters, we'll happily keep that 8.6. And just like how you talked about in the Bitcoin, unfortunately, that started to reduce. Risk became a bit too high. So we reduced the rates. And so these market, market neutral trades, do you offer that to your uh, institutional clients or H&Is and family offices as well? We do. So we have a trading platform. Uh, so outside of what you see on the retail side, we do have a trading platform on the institutional side too. So people can come and trade with us directly OTC. And we do offer um, market neutral, but we also basically offer products that they can trade with us. And what's the what's the minimum investment in such kind of products which are not on the retail side? So it's not, it's not so much about the investment. It's more just how much uh, AUM how much AUM the, the firm has. And we typically like to deal with firms that have more than 5 million uh, net equity. And uh, so the the credit card, uh, which is a cash back, uh, I mean, uh, a Bitcoin back Word, yeah. <laughs> credit card where I think you get uh, a SATs back, a fraction of a Bitcoin yeah. Satoshi's back. I think that was announced a couple of months back and now you're saying quarter four. Is it, has it got delayed? Any problems with oh, no, Q2. the credit card companies? Q2 as in, as in this quarter. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, was gonna, oh, it was always Q2 um, and, and it's going to be released. It's just US first, just to be very, very clear. And, and the way it works is, look, we're not trying to tell anyone to spend their Bitcoin. It's a, it's a USD denominated with a Visa partnership. They'll spend their USD and they'll get 1.5% back, which I believe is very competitive to say like the airlines market and so forth in Bitcoin. Um, so it's a dollar denominated credit card. You get your rewards in Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, similar to Air Miles, uh, will go straight into your BlockFi account and you'll start earning interest on that. Yeah, and I think the uh, the added advantage over there is that your Air Miles normally buy less and less flight tickets over a period of time, but here, hopefully Bitcoin's price keeps going up. So yeah, and I think <laughs> that's the attraction, right? Exactly, right? And I think like it's quite unique in the sense that you have the ability to earn something that is an asset, right? Like it's an asset that has the potential to grow. Whether, whether, however, people look at it as a, as a different thing, right? You can, we can always have this debate. People look at it as like a, an alternative to gold or a store of value like that. Or even if it's a tradable asset, it's still an asset that you can trade and, and do something with and has the potential to grow a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, so far in Bitcoin, I'm only, you know, I've only been excited about kind of, you know, just buying Bitcoin and hodling it. But this is the first product I'm really waiting for. I mean, <laughs> there have been uh, cards which let you spend Bitcoin, and I'm like, why should I ever use that? But if my rewards are in Bitcoin, for sure, I'm excited. You know, for <laughs> yeah, exactly. so absolutely looking forward to that. And in spite of not being in the US, I hope I'm just a little bit higher up in the wait list. Uh, <laughs> 
but what are some exciting new things coming any uh, do you think there are there is a possibility of any sunny bitcoin special announcements uh look i think i think the credit card is the biggest thing um we are working on potentially newer products that are kind of under the wraps right now to be completely <laughs> to be fair um that we can't announce just yet but we i think you know with this with this new raise we're definitely going to be looking at new product releases and product expansions as well as just international expansion right we're over here trying to build out over here uh we have a europe office that we're trying to build out also and that that kind of expansion we should see grow a lot this year and on that note what do you feel about large markets in asia i mean i know you are based out of singapore uh, but the other countries like uh, india indonesia which are currently mainly served by local exchanges yeah. I know Coinbase, Revolut uh, are all eyeing India. Is BlockFi? Uh, no, we're currently not. To be very transparent, look, I always have my eyes on it. Um, I think that we're still newish compared to a lot of the people that you mentioned in Asia. Uh, we've been here for about a year. Uh, the focus is still kind of Hong Kong, Australia, and so forth. Um, but it's more about dealing with the regulation hurdles first, because we're compliant first. So we always want to make sure that we're we've got the check marks and everything before we go in. And I think that's also how you drive adoption, right? Without, without, with going the right way and getting people comfortable with us, so that they can store their money with us and can use our products. So um, it'll take us a little while before we can get to a place like India, as you know, the regulation continues to change back and forth. So I think we have to just get comfortable. Recently, the U.S. regulation was in news, not really because of for the first time because of any U.S. regulators, but because of Ray Dalio saying that uh, there is a possibility that the U.S. government could ban Bitcoin. And I, I mean, he put a disclaimer that he's not an expert in Bitcoin and he could absolutely be wrong. Uh, you are a U.S. entity. What, what, what do you think is the current regulatory landscape as it's emerging in the U.S.? Yeah, I think, look, I think a lot of a lot of the firms like us and, and similar firms have gone in to say, let's be regulated like, rather than be regulated like a bank or rather than be completely unregulated like a lot of the crypto firms that are out there, it's let's be regulated like a fintech firm. Let's be regulated like how Square is. Let's be regulated how PayPal is and go that route. So we're showing our cards. We're kind of talking to regulators, making sure they're up to speed and everything, and more so working with them to kind of forward the regulation in, in a way. And that's the kind of approach that we've always taken. And hopefully it'll keep going that route. And what's your experience been, again, since you're based in Singapore with the MAS, uh, the regulatory landscape in Singapore? Uh, so this part, I prefer not to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook. Thank you. Uh, so, Rishi, thank you for doing this. Uh, but before we wrap up, how can people find you and reach out to BlockFi? Yeah, so look, BlockFi.com, sign up over there. Um, it, it's, it's Again, we, we try to be as transparent as possible. So there is a resources page over there where there is we, we updated it, I think, uh, at the end of last year to just put a ton of information of questions that people might ask, getting people comfortable with the risk, getting people comfortable with the business model. And we do have client services. So so reach out if you have questions, um, but check out the resources page. There's a ton of information there and then sign up over there directly. Great. I know you've offered to do a few in-person meetups in Singapore and BlockFi will sponsor the drinks. And yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take up that offer soon. So looking forward to meeting you in person. Yes. Thank you for coming on Sunny Bitcoin. Thanks a lot, man. Take care.